Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our prayer as you listen is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. In Charlie Brown's Christmas, Luke gets all the love, so we are going to give the love to Matthew over this Christmas season. Franzuas is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. His name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. When you hear that, what comes to your mind? My guess is for some of us, when you hear that, what comes to your mind is, here we go again. This story is so familiar to us that we hear it so often that the temptation can be to just kind of let it wash over us and not let us impact us like it really should. It's this story that's so familiar to us. For many, it almost leads to boredom. Like, I know this. I know what happens. I know all the different angles. I've heard the sermons of the Christmas playlists. I've heard the sermons of uh, the story according to all these different perspectives. I've seen the drama acted out of Mary and Joseph and all of these things. And we can come into this season with this kind of sense of, I already know everything I know and need to know about this story. And this story really has nothing more to tell me. I don't know if would say that, but sometimes that's kind of how we act when we read stories that are familiar to us. I know when I'm reading the scriptures and I come to a story that I'm familiar with, I do tend to kind of gloss over it a little bit sooner, a little bit quicker. Like, oh, I know this story. So I know the temptation is very real for me as well. And familiarity is not a bad thing. Familiarity is good. To be familiar with the Christmas story, to know why Jesus came and how he came and all of those things is a good thing. To be familiar with the Easter story, To be familiar with Jesus and the story of his crucifixion and his resurrection, his ascension, that kind of familiarity is a good thing. The the danger of familiarity is familiarity has a dark side with it as well. And that is, it can lead us to this sense of boredom. Familiarity can rob us of our awe and wonder when we come to a passage. So my hope and my prayer as we wrestle through Matthew's account of the Christmas story over the next number of weeks is that we will be rescued out of the familiarity of this particular story. I remember when in in the middle of the 90s and my brother just got a computer. He was heading to Western, and he got this compact computer. The monitor was like a, a boat anchor. It was so big. It was like an 8-bit color, which was something I had never seen before on a computer. And I remember there was this icon on his computer that said videos. And we double-clicked on it. Then we double-clicked on this video of a car driving down the road for about 15 seconds. It was pixelated, but I sat there in awe and in wonder that a computer could play a video like that. Now, when I try to load my 4K video on my phone and it's delayed, I get angry. (laughs) 
The awe and the wonder that I had first experienced when I first saw a computer can do that is just kind of washed away. I've used it so much. That can happen in marriage, too. Familiarity in marriage is a good thing. To know your spouse's favorite drink at Tim Hortons or Starbucks, what they take in their coffee, their favorite color, their favorite movie, those kinds of things are good things. But familiarity can lead us to a point of not really being thankful anymore. I don't know about you, but I remember when I first got married and you, know, you wake up next to your spouse, you're like, wow, thank you, God, that she said yes to me. Like I, it's the blow, like, I just sit there in awe and wonder. Like I get to be married to her. I get to spend the rest of my life with her. I get to wake up next to her. And then five years passes, and you wake up, and you have no covers, and you're like, why are you stealing the covers? <laughs> it just becomes familiar. It can become, the danger is it can become familiar, and it can lead us to a place of not being in awe and wonder, grateful for God's grace in our life for giving us what he's given us. So we want to rescue ourselves from that kind of familiarity when we come to this Christmas story. And so that's kind of the, the, the aim of this particular study of the next number of weeks called Christmas Surprises. I was going to call it parts of the Christmas story that make you say, huh? <laughs> but I refrain from doing that. But that's essentially what we're going to be doing. And, and, and the reason I've chosen Matthew is not just because Charlie Brown gave all the love to Luke, but Matthew includes in his account of the Christmas story a whole bunch of kind of huh moments Moments when he writes something and we can so easily just skip over it because we've heard it so many times before. But to that original audience reading it, they would have stepped back and say, hold up, what, Matt? What are you saying here? Are you serious? There's a whole bunch of moments like that in Matthew's gospel when he shares the Christmas story. So it makes it easy for us to rescue that story from its familiarity and to, and to kind of ponder some of the things that are mentioned here. So we're going to start in verse 18 today of Matthew 1. Uh, we could have done the first 17 verses of Matthew. We could have drudged through. That would have been great. I would have mispronounced over half of the names in that list. And you maybe wouldn't even have known as long as I just read it smoothly. But in that genealogy, uh, Matthew includes a number of surprises right within it. And we've talked about those before. But the, the most kind of awe, kind of, the moment that would make someone really stop was his inclusion of women in the genealogy. Because that was not something that would have been typically done in this day. Matthew includes five different women. And if we were to do a study of those five women, if you have notes, you'll see one of the questions is to actually do a bit of a study on those five women. And what you would discover is a whole range of different women, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, some with good reputations and some with bad reputations. And what Luke, what Luke, what Matthew is doing when he writes this is he's giving us a glimpse into who this Messiah has come for. He has come because you're going to get that same kind of mix of Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, good reputation, bad reputation among the men as well. And he's giving us this glimpse, this hint that this Messiah has come for Jews and Gentiles. 
He has come for the rich and the poor. He's come for those that have good reputations. He's come for those who don't have such great reputations. He has come for everyone. So that's one of the things we see in the genealogy. One of the, the, the second thing we see, and really the primary reason why he includes the genealogy is to show that Jesus, this child who's going to be born, is from the line of David. And this is absolutely critical for a Jewish audience reading this because the Messiah that was to come, prophesied by the prophets from Isaiah and from others, was going to come from the line of David. What is surprising about how he comes from the line of David is if you read the genealogy, where it ends, who's it end with? It ends with Jesus, but how does Jesus get involved in that genealogy? Through Joseph. What does Joseph have to do with anything? The way that the Messiah is from the line of David is through his adoptive dad. And you see adoption on the heart of God right from the very beginning. If you read the prophets, the prophets don't say that the Messiah is going to come from the flesh of David, but from the line of David. When you adopt a child into your home, you adopt that child in every way. You are now their parents. The children that we have adopted, legally, they are my children. I am their father, just as my biological children are. There is no difference in the eyes of the law. And the way in which Jesus is from the line of David is through his adoptive father, Joseph. And Matthew is now going to flesh out the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph. And that's what I want to look at together. So those are surprises that we see leading up to even... Verse 18, and then in verse 18, we're going, to see, we're going to see some more surprises as we read. So verse 18, it's going to be on the screen as well. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So you can imagine what this would have been like. And, and we do this every year, and I think it's important that we do. That Mary, who would have been around 15 years at this time, is pregnant. She's engaged to this man, Joseph. And sometimes when we retell the Christmas story, we tell the Christmas story like Joseph knew Mary was a pure woman. And so this is why he decides to act like this. But from the literature that we have historically out of Galilee, what we actually read is engaged couples in Galilee were not, and in many parts of that Middle Eastern world, were not allowed to spend any alone time together. It was always in the context of family if they were together, but they weren't allowed to spend any time, even in private conversation, without other people around. So to say Joseph knew her is really not what the biblical text or what history would tell us. The reality is Joseph has no reason to assume that she wasn't unfaithful when he finds this out. He doesn't know her. He doesn't know what she really may be like. And so makes this all the more remarkable when you see what Joseph did. Imagine being Mary, 15 years old. There's no way of explaining that to anybody. That you are pregnant with a child, but you say, I have never been with a man. Oh, sure. You imagine a 15-year-old today coming and saying that. You're not going to believe her. They're not going to believe her. And what's going to automatically happen to her in that situation? 
It's going to be incredible shame that's going to be placed on her. In fact, Deuteronomy 22, 23, in the law of Moses says that when this happens, when a fiance is unfaithful to the one that they are betrothed to, or someone's unfaithful in marriage, that both she and the person that she was unfaithful with need to be stoned to death. It's what the law of Moses says. And yet here is this surprise that Matthew gives us here, that Joseph being a just man. Now, what does it mean to be just? To be just is an equal application of the law. So a a teacher who is just to their students treats them all equally and fairly according to the same set of rules. Uh, A judge who is just is going to follow the law and enforce the law equally regardless of who you are. And so to be just is an equal application of the law is how we often talk. But look at what happens here. Joseph, being a just man, decides to divorce her quietly. What did the law say? The law said that she should be stoned to death. Now, the Jewish courts didn't have the power in this day to stone someone to death, though they did do it sometimes. They would typically have to appeal to Rome to do it. And we see that with the crucifixion stories of Jesus. So at the very least, if they weren't going to stone her, there would be an an immense amount of shame placed on her. She would be outcasted from the community. The entire family would be shamed. In fact, there's also, there's literature out of this time period that would indicate that families where this would happen would actually wish that their children would die because of the shame that it brought on them. It would be better if she did die than the amount of shame that would be placed on us in an honor and shame culture like this. So what Matthew is telling us that is going to stop someone in their tracks is, I'm going to rephrase it to help you see how shocking this is. Joseph, being a just man, decides to break the law. Joseph, being a just man, decides not only just to break the law, but to break the law of Moses. This would have caused anyone reading this to stop and say, hold up, what? And it says he, div- he, he set out to, divor- to divorce her quietly. <laughs> quietly. And we're getting this kind of hint right at the outset of the birth narratives of Jesus of what I would call the biblical vision of justice. Because we often think justice is getting what you deserve. It's, it's having the law applied to you in the way that you deserve it to be applied to you. Now, in every instance for Joseph and for everyone else in the community, their assumption is she's been unfaithful. And so the application of the law towards her should not be this compassion that Joseph shows to her. He chooses to divorce her quietly so that she won't be shamed. The more public this divorce, the more intense the shame is going to be. But he sets out to do that. And it's this vision of justice. And the reason I say it's a biblical vision of justice, because it's actually not even a new definition of justice that we're seeing here. And Isaiah 42 talks about the Messiah coming who's going to establish justice. And the way he does it, it says, a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will not quench out. 
And so we're getting even in Isaiah, this vision of justice that the Messiah is going to bring. And now we're seeing it lived out here in Joseph. And it's this definition of justice, this biblical definition of justice, vision of justice that says justice is compassionate care for the vulnerable, for the weak, for the exhausted, for the worn out. So when the scriptures tell us to seek justice, what the scriptures are telling us is to show compassionate care for the weak and the vulnerable and the exhausted. And it's this picture that we're getting right here in Joseph, which is the same thing this baby who's going to be born is going to show to us. Now it goes on. He sets out to divorce her quietly. He sets out in his mind, she's been unfaithful, I'm going to divorce her quietly. He shows compassion, but he still chooses he's going to divorce her. He makes his plans, but is it not just like our God to let us make our plans and then show us a better way? And here's the better way that is not an easy path. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now we are on Christmas Sunday, which is the Sunday before uh, Christmas, and then on Christmas Eve, we're going to focus in on those two names. So I'm going to look at this passage by not dwelling on these two names because I'm saving that, because that is in and of itself mind-blowing to know that this child is being named Jesus and Emmanuel. Once we start digging underneath the surface on this, uh, I think your mind's going to be blown as it was mine. It's absolutely incredible. So we're going to save that, though, for Christmas Sunday. Uh, Christmas Eve is a theme of Emmanuel, God with us. So we're going to get to that. So don't think, oh, he just skimmed over the best part. Emmanuel is the heart of Christianity. I'm not skipping over it. We're going to talk about it later. But let me just focus in on Joseph just for a moment here based on what's just been said to us. Because I know myself, when I read that, it hasn't always kind of sunk in just what that is going to cause Joseph if he's obedient to what the angel's asking him to do. All of the shame is directed towards Mary. According to the community, she deserves the shame. She was unfaithful. He's got in his head, I'm going to divorce her. Now the angel says, no, I want you to take her as her wife. She has not been unfaithful. In fact, God is pleased with her, and that's why he's chosen her to be the mother of the one I am sending. By Joseph saying yes, do you see how costly that is? What is the community now going to assume about Joseph? That he did it. And so the shame that would have been directed towards Mary is now by Joseph. If he says yes to this, all of that shame is now going to be directed to him. He's going to take the shame that Mary assumingly deserves and shift it onto himself. And the community now is going to shame him. They're going to outcast him. His reputation is now going to be stained. So by, obedient, by being obedient to what God is asking him to do here, he's doing so at the cost of his reputation in the community. He's now the one who's going to be shamed. 
And here's what I love about the Christmas story. Joseph, I just don't think Joseph gets enough credit. Joseph doesn't say, hey, let me think about it for a little bit. I'm going to get back to you on that one. Look what happens. As soon as he wakes up, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did. You can circle that. He did. As the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So two acts of obedience. He did as the angel did, as the angel said, and then called his name Jesus. He did so at the cost of his reputation. That shame that would have been directed toward Mary by making that costly decision of obedience, the community now is going to shame him. They're going to outcast him. And it's this beautiful, you, you know where I'm going already, I think. This beautiful picture of what this baby has come to do. That just as Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus took Mary's shame upon himself. This baby is going to come, and we're going to see Matthew flesh this out in the rest of his gospel, and he is going to take our shame on himself. That he, at the cost of his reputation, is going to die a sinner's death on the cross. That this same baby is going to stretch out his hands, and he's going to die to save us of our sins. And that shame that was directed toward us, he's going to take on his shoulders and pay for it in full. This beautiful picture that we're seeing here in Matthew, the beginning of the Christmas story through Joseph, as to what this baby was going to come to do. And the reason why, as we start off our Christmas season, I wanted to have compassion with us here today is to now put into practice what the Bible calls us to do as believers, to celebrate the birth of Christ. There's nothing in the scriptures that we need to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But if we are going to choose, and I think it's a good thing, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, let's celebrate it in a way that's going to honor him. Let's celebrate it in a way that is reflected in what we read in the Christmas story. And maybe one of the best things that we can do as we start off our Christmas season today is to consider that biblical vision of justice and to think in terms of justice as being compassionate care for the vulnerable and for the weak. And maybe today in our celebrations of the birth of Jesus we can celebrate him by applying this definition of justice by providing hope to a child in need. Let's apply the story and what we learn of Christmas to our celebrations at Christmas. And I pray that, that all of this, as we study all of this as well, I don't want to make this just about compassion, but think about in terms of the surprises that we are going to see throughout the Christmas story. And what that then can mean for us as we seek to now surprise the world with the love and the grace that we have been surprised with in Jesus. Just think in terms of this picture of Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords on his throne in heaven who gives that up to be placed in an animal feeding trough for you and for me to eventually die on the cross to take our shame upon himself. That Truth alone should lead us to awe and to lead us to wonder and should lead us to worship, to think of what he would do for us. 
And to keep in mind that this child who was born is the one who created you, who came to this earth for you to take your shame upon himself, to show compassionate care and love for you by doing for you what you could not do for yourself, making it possible for us to be blessed beyond all imagination, to imagine that we will one day be with him for all of eternity. It doesn't get any better than that. This is what we celebrate when we celebrate Advent. Let's pray and invite the worship team to come up and lead us in a closing song. Our Father, we thank you for this Christmas story that we come to each and every year. And I do pray that as we wrestle with the text, that we would be rescued from just kind of this ho-hum, yeah, I know this already, attitude when we approach it, but that you would give us fresh eyes, that you would give us kind of even fresh insight into see what happened on that first Christmas and that that would lead us to giving our lives in, for the sake of this world, that we would ourselves practice kind of the incarnation of this world and live among those people that you have put all around us and that we would surprise them with love and with hope. And I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who did all of this for us, that he, the creator God of all, over all, the one who fashioned us, would be born of a baby and placed in an animal feeding trough, the king of kings lying in an animal feeding trough as a vulnerable baby, as we reflect on that, as we think in terms of that, pray, Father, that we would be led to worship, that we would be led to giving our lives for the sake of making much of Jesus in this world, both in our everyday lives and in our celebrations at Christmas. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's Word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless.